Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. At least a dozen states have postponed their primaries due to the coronavirus crisis. But today, Wisconsin's primary is going on as planned, with in-person voting that is happening as we're recording this podcast. This comes a week after a lot of back and forth between the governor, the legislature, the courts, all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday ruling in part on this case. It leaves voters today in a position to potentially choose between exercising their right to vote and protecting their health. The U.S. Surgeon General talked about just that this morning on the Today Show. Well, I say as a black man that I I know that people have died for the right to vote. This is very important to to our entire country. And if people are going to go out there and vote, uh, then please do it as safely as possible. Joining me now to break all this down is CNN correspondent Omar Jimenez on the ground in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Then in a few minutes, we'll be joined by CNN senior writer and analyst Harry Enten to check in on where the 2020 race stands overall with this Wisconsin primary underway. But Omar, first to you. Hey, David. Yeah, I'm in the field outside one of five polling places open here in Milwaukee. So please forgive any audio issues with the windiness we are seeing. Can you tell me, are people actually showing up and voting in a time where we've all been told to stay socially distant and stay at home? This city typically has 180 polling places open, but because of the threat that we are seeing in this pandemic, they had a shortage of poll workers. So when we got to this particular location, just before the polls opened, there's a line stretching around the side of this particular high school, around the backside of it, through the parking lot and into the road behind it. So safe to say it was a very long line. And when you talk to some of these voters, a lot of them, one, were wearing masks and did seem to be protecting themselves, wary of of the time that we are in right now. But a lot of them did seem happy actually to be carrying out their civic duty. The part that they were unhappy about was that they were potentially risking their health to do so. I was kind of upset coming out here today because they're just telling us, you know, don't go out and if you can help not going to shop today, this week is pretty, uh, you know, it's the peak, it might be the peak. So stay home, be safe. But then they want us to come and do our civic duty, which I don't mind, but I think they could have postponed a day to further, you know, down the line like uh, the mayor had wanted to. Yeah, pretty upsetting that our leaders don't take consideration of citizens, you know. And you talked about the winding road that we took to get to where we are right now. There are so many different policy debates going through on the political side and also going through the courts as well. The most significant part that I wanted to touch on is comes down to absentee voting. We saw that we have seen, I should say, more than a million requests for absentee votes have come in in Wisconsin. There are thousands of those that have not been received and won't be received by the end of election day today. And the reason that's important is because the Supreme Court ruled Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court, that for those votes to be counted, they need to be postmarked by today, which means for thousands of those voters, they do have to make that choice, either risk potentially their health to show up in person and vote or not vote at all. Yeah, in fact, the court had overruled a lower court's ruling to extend the timeline to April 13th that people would have to return the absentee ballot. But as you noted, the Supreme Court uh, said no to that, and, and it has to be postmarked by today to be counted. The battle over how we vote in America, that is going to be months long in the future. But I, I saw your 
Instagram hyperlapse video of, of the long line. It looked like everyone was spaced out in terms of the voters waiting. But do you have any idea how is it working with the election workers inside? Do we know what happens when a voter actually goes into the polling place? Yeah. So at, at this point, the election workers and, and the conditions they would be in has been a huge point of emphasis for at least the Wisconsin Elections Commission here. So you're exactly right. As the voters were waiting to come in, they were sort of spaced out with cones sort of indicating where that six-foot marker would be between each person. Then when you actually step inside, there are similar measures just indicated by pieces of tape on the ground, again, to keep that six-foot distance. Now, you won't be able to find a poll worker here without a mask, without gloves to begin with. There are also mechanisms inside to wash your hands, but also, most notably, huge differences that you wouldn't see aside from the gloves and masks from previous elections is some of these locations actually have plexiglass dividing the poll workers and the actual voters. And then on top of that, if you have a scenario, which is very common, obviously, in voting, where you have to show your ID, that whole process is contactless. The person, the voter, puts their ID on the table. The poll worker will not touch the ID. They will just examine it. And then if anything needs to be signed at any point in the process, the poll worker will offer that voter a pen that they can either choose to keep or throw away. So those were all part of the new policies that were being put in place, which, by the way, were still being tweaked until very late last night because of the back and forth that we saw both in the state legislature here and in the legal system, again, all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. I've tried for weeks to meet Republicans in the middle to find common ground and figure out a Wisconsin solution. But at every turn, they fought all the way to the United States Supreme Court even the most basic and common sense proposals to ensure a safe and fair election. This is it. There's not a plan B. There's not a plan C. We're moving ahead with this. We believe the Supreme Court will support us in this. Now, Omar, no results are expected to be reported until next Monday, April 13th. So all of this will happen today, but we actually won't know the result. That's right. And actually, the Wisconsin Elections Commission was having a meeting with their commissioners uh, last night that went very late on this exact issue, trying to get clarity on when exactly these results would be reported. But this, of course, ties into the initial federal court order that came down last week. Seems like so many court orders at this point, but the one that came down last week holding those reporting results until that extended deadline of the 13th. So unofficial results or otherwise, we will not get them for uh, at least uh, close to a week, David. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I... There, there's nobody I know who loves seeing voters vote more than I do. I, I, I am a huge <laughs> believer in this process. This seems nuts to me right now uh, that that Wisconsin has gotten to this place where uh, it is actually holding a primary today with in-person voting. But uh, Omar, I'm so glad you and your team are there to capture it and report on it all. So thank you for doing so, sir. For sure. Thanks for having us. Thanks for checking in, as always. Sure. Take care. Joining me now to break all of this down even further beyond Wisconsin, but sort of where we are in the 2020 race uh, is CNN's Harry Enten. Harry, thank you so much for being here. Shalom, David. How you doing? Shalom. So let me get your take. I mean, usually on a day like this, Harry, we're talking about how many delegates are at stake in a contest and who's got the edge. Wisconsin, the story today is not actually about uh, the winner here, not only because 
Biden had a big pre-election poll showing in this state, and we expect him to win when the votes are tallied. But just that voting in the midst of a pandemic is 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 the story in and of itself. This is, you know, I, I, I feel like I've been in a simulation now for like the last five years, and now it's almost really ramped up. It's just how much more bizarre can our lives almost get? And this is obviously not something that's funny. It's something that's quite dangerous, but it's just... I don't think I could possibly have ever imagined a month ago that this is where we would be right now. I mean, a month ago was just a few days after Super Tuesday. And now, of course, obviously, this country is just in such a different place. Yeah, I was actually doing the thought exercise uh, yesterday, Harry. Just I I was like, wow, imagine if this whole coronavirus pandemic issue, the stay at home orders had happened a month earlier, like the entire race would have been frozen. The fact that it happened after Biden became the clear, almost certain nominee, uh, at least it suspends a race that we kind of know the conclusion to. But had it all happened a month earlier, this could have been an entirely different scenario. That's exactly right. Funny enough, I was actually doing the exact same thing. I was chatting with one of my friends and basically saying, you know, what if this had happened just a, even just a few weeks earlier, right? I mean, remember, it was the 317 primaries, the ones on March 17th, Illinois, Florida, Arizona, and obviously Ohio was delayed in which we really felt the first real effects of this, at least electorally speaking. If that had happened just a month prior, that would have been before Super Tuesday. It would have been just after New Hampshire, Iowa, and before Nevada and South Carolina voted that would have completely changed the dynamic of the Democratic field. It would have completely changed the primary. And we could, in fact, be looking at a completely different nominee. Politics, like life, is all about timing. And I think we see that here again today. So let me ask you, so the race stands as it does, where, you know, Joe Biden is clearly poised to become the nominee. So many contests delayed until uh, June now. He may not actually be able to cross that threshold of 1,991 delegates to sort of make it official until uh, deep into June. The convention delayed until August. What is your sense about how this pause in electoral politics is impacting the overall race? Yeah, I think it's two ways, right? I think you have a primary phase and then you have a general election phase, right? You know, I think the math is something along the lines of by June 1st, as we initially thought the primaries were going to be held, it was something like 94% of all the delegates were going to be allotted by June 1st. Now it's just 72%. And that gives Bernie Sanders almost the ability to stay in the race a little bit longer uh, insofar as that, you know, Joe Biden isn't the, you know, he may be inevitable in some sense, but he isn't the presumptive nominee. Uh, But then, of course, I think, you know, generally speaking, in terms of the general election, I think there's something entirely different there. What's going on? Obviously, the president has dominated the media. Obviously, electoral politics have taken sort of a back seat. But as I sort of look at the data, you know, it seems to me almost as if there's been just merely a pause, right? It's not that the horse race numbers, at least in the aggregate, have changed all that much. It just almost seems to me that we'll end up with a much more compressed general election calendar. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. And I think also, and I I know you've written about this and thought about this as well, this election, listen, uh, when incumbents are up for re-election, it is 
often a referendum on the incumbent because the American people have to make a choice whether they want to renew the incumbent's contract for another four years. What many incumbents try to do, uh, especially those who don't love the way that their numbers look, uh, <laughs> is make it a choice election as best they can. Uh, I think back to uh, 2004 and the Bush Kerry race as a as a perfect example of that, but also the 2012 reelect for Obama uh, with Romney uh, as well. So it, that is what an incumbent who doesn't have soaring popularity does tries to make it a choice, which is no doubt what Donald Trump would want to be doing right now with Joe Biden. He can't because his day job is consuming everything, which just doubles down on the notion this is all about Donald Trump. That's exactly right. I appreciate the plug for the article out on your CNN.com website. Uh, look, that's exactly right. Look, incumbent elections are normally about the incumbent, right? We have four years to judge Donald Trump off of his record. That's what voters, even before the coronavirus pandemic hit, you know, you look at our CNN poll, it was something along the lines of 90% plus of those who approved of Trump say they were going to vote for him. 90% plus who said they disapproved of Trump said they were going to vote for Biden. I think that's locked in more now than normal. And that's not necessarily, you know, a good thing for the president because Joe Biden, what he wants to do is he merely wants to be Mr. Vanilla. He wants to be the person who, if you don't like Donald Trump, you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. And the fact is, even with this pandemic bump that we've seen in Trump's approval ratings, he's still not hitting 50 percent. And with the compressed calendar, I know this might be an unpopular position, at least on Twitter, to me, it actually argues that it lessens the time that Trump can turn this race around and perhaps make it more about Biden, who obviously has many flaws himself. It's it's going to be fascinating to see. I totally agree with your notion about a compressed election. We are also going to be perhaps voting differently than we have. There, I, listen, we've been on a trajectory in this country uh, for vote by mail and early vote and upward trajectory, but th- it now may be turbocharged in November. And uh, no doubt there will be tons of partisan battling about that as well. May that not have some impact on the election? Oh, I'd much prefer to have on, you know, in-person voting, but it depends. It depends on the state of play, but we cannot, we cannot delay or postpone a constitutionally required November election. I mean, it could, right? Uh, look, I think it's along the lines of maybe a fifth of people have traditionally voted, at least in 2016, by by mail or, or absentee voting. Uh, and I would expect those numbers to climb significantly higher, right? I mean, we saw that in the 317, the March 17 primaries, we saw that the states that traditionally have voted the most by mail, Arizona particularly voting early at least, uh, saw the highest turnout relative to a state like Illinois, which saw the lowest turnout of any Democratic primary so far because there hasn't been that tradition of voting early, voting by mail. What I will say is that I believe it's 33 of the states have, no, have at least no excuse absentee balloting, uh, voting. Um, and among those, I believe that 65% of the electoral votes up for grabs on election day will be in states with no excuse absentee voting, including, I believe, about 90% or a little bit north of the 15 closest states in 2016. I think the question is, though, over the next six to seven months before the election, can those election boards, can the states be able to organize the effort in order to accommodate what is probably going to be an onslaught of early voting, especially by mail, that these state election boards are not used to. I think that is the big question. There are laws in place in a lot of these places to allow the no excuse absentee voting, 
But the question is, can the state election boards actually handle it? Such a good question. There's going to be a whole congressional funding battle in the next round of the stimulus uh, related to the coronavirus epidemic that is going to deal with exactly that. Harry, before you go, so I want to take your uh, point about President Trump and Joe Biden wanting to be vanilla and just sitting there as the alternative for folks that turn away from Trump. Does that mean that you think it is wise strategy right now, what we are seeing from Democrats, the Biden campaign itself, but even more significantly, the super PACs and outside groups supporting the Biden candidacy, all their money right now, their advertising online and on television airwaves is focused on reminding voters uh, that Donald Trump was slow to get out of the gate on this, had a failed response, really framing the president as a failure in leadership. Is that is that the right, right way to do this if you are a Democrat, to not take your foot off the gas on that criti- critique of Trump? I think that's the great question, right? And the question is, you're trying to basically skirt this line whereby, and you've seen Biden try to do it, where he says, look, the the virus is not Donald Trump's fault. It's the response that is his fault. He didn't adequately prepare us. This is not a time, I think, in which voters seem to necessarily are in the mood for partisan rancor. But at the end of the day, what you're really preparing for is an election six or seven months down the line. And what we know from studying rally around the flag effects and events is that those effects tend to wear off and should, if historical trend lines hold, wear off before the election. Obviously, if you're a Democrat, or you're aligned with a Democratic group, you're looking at the numbers, you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. But I would agree with you, there is some danger in appearing too partisan in a time in which I think if you look at the numbers, more people want to come together than certainly say two or three months ago. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting to watch because clearly Democrats also believe just by watching what they're doing that there's also danger in not framing this as a failure right uh, from the get go, uh, even though the election is months away. Harry, thank you so much, as always, for your insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Take care. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps other people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.